I wonder if you would describe yourself as living a blessed life. Do you see yourself as being someone who is truly blessed? And do you think that God wants you to live a blessed life? I guess how you answer these kind of questions depends on what you think a blessed life looks like. Many people in this world would describe a blessed life as those who have full wallets, healthy bank accounts, a satisfying career, a loving family, a healthy body, good looks, and a long and a happy life. But is that really an accurate description of what a blessed life is like? Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at who Jesus considers to be blessed. And as we do, I think we're going to see that Jesus values things in our lives differently. Matthew chapter 5, and we start just with the first couple of verses. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. This is the start of what's commonly known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's called that for an obvious reason. Jesus spoke this this sermon after he went up on a mountainside. So it's not that cryptic uh, a a description for it. But this is probably not just an incidental detail. In the Old Testament, maybe you remember, that God brought Moses up Mount Sinai. And there God gave him the law to teach the newly freed people of Israel how to live as God's covenant people. And so in a kind of parallel way, here's Jesus going up a mountain. And there he sat down, taking on the the normal position for a rabbi speaking to his students. And his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them how they should live as God's new covenant people. So this means that although others may have been listening to Jesus, this sermon was directed first and foremost to his disciples. And so what Jesus teaches here is not so much how to become a disciple of Jesus, but how to live as a disciple of Jesus. If we have accepted the gift of forgiveness and love that we've remembered this morning in communion, if we know that we've been saved by God's undeserved and free gift, then this sermon teaches us how then should we live. This is what Jesus wants our lives to look like. And he starts off this sermon with what's known as the Beatitudes. Very well known passage in the Bible. It's simply, it's called that simply from the Latin word. Now, I never had a classical education. I'm too young for that. So I, so I claim. As Tommy laughs. Uh, but the Latin word for blessed is beatus. So that's why it's called the Beatitudes. And that makes sense. Because this is Jesus' eightfold declaration of those who are truly Blessed. But before we go on to think about each of them individually over the next few weeks, we need to ask, what does it mean to be blessed? 
Well, it incorporates the ideas of wholeness, of, of joy, of well-being, of satisfaction. It's even sometimes translated in different Bibles as being happy. Happy are those. But it doesn't mean that we're always going to feel happy. That would make no sense, especially when we go on to next week, when we look at blessed are those who mourn. So it doesn't really make sense to put those two together. But this does mean that this is how God sees them. The world sees the rich and the powerful and the famous as blessed, fortunate, happy. But the Beatitudes describe those whom God sees as being blessed. And although they may experience some of the joy and peace and satisfaction of this blessing in their lives right now, as well as hardships and struggles, ultimately they, they are truly blessed because they will experience joy and satisfaction in all its fullness one day in the future. There's an element in which that blessing is experienced now, but there's also an element in which that blessing is a future fulfillment when we'll see Jesus face to face. So this is Jesus' description of those who, despite outward appearances, are truly blessed in this world. And as we'll see as we go through them, their blessedness is determined by their internal attitude. So often people try to make themselves happier by changing their externals. Change where they live. The job they work at, the people they spend time with, the way they look, thinking that that will fix their life and that will make them happy. That will sort out their life. But Jesus doesn't mention that kind of stuff in this, in these, this list of Beatitudes. God said to Samuel that the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And here Jesus focused on the heart, on the inside. He declared these blessings are for those who have a different attitude. He taught that if we have the attitudes of the world, then we'll not be blessed. But if we have these different attitudes, then we are blessed. And so I think the message of the Beatitudes is that we don't need to change our circumstances or our location or our condition or our status in order to live a blessed life. We just need to allow God to change us. To change our attitudes. To change our way of thinking. To change our approach to life. And I think we can see this clearly in the first of these, in verse 3. So let's read that together. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think if this world was going to write their own Beatitudes, they'd probably start with something like, well, happy are those whose wallets are bulging, whose bank accounts are filled, who can buy and do everything they want. 
Because that seems to be a real driving force and ambition and dream for so many people in the world. It's a driving force behind things like the lottery or the betting shops or the scratch cards or even the so-called American dream. It's also the message of those who preach what's called the prosperity gospel. The claims that if we live for God, then we'll experience health and wealth and happiness. But here at the start of Jesus' sermon, he turns this world's thinking right on his head. And he says, blessed are the poor. The blessed are not defined by their wealth, but in some way by their poverty. Now, I guess we shouldn't be surprised because we know that wealth is no guarantee of a blessed life, don't we? We've not been deceived by this whole deception of thinking that wealth is a way to a blessed life, have we? Just need to watch the news, I think, to get the evidence of, of the fact that that's not the case. And Jesus warned us that wealth can actually get in the way of a blessed life. He says, watch out in Luke chapter 12. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But we do need to be really clear about what Jesus did say in this beatitude. There was a king who had more money than he knew what to do with. He owned lands as far as the eye could see. He had dozens of castles filled with silver and gold. But no matter how much he had, he never had enough. And as a result, he was miserable. So one day he called one of his servants and gave him these instructions. I want you to scour the land and find the happiest man on earth. Once you've found him, I want you to take all that he owns and bring it to me. Kill him if necessary. Nice king. I must have what he has, because then I will be happy myself. By the way, if you fail in your mission, you'll be killed. As I said, a nice king. After many months of serving, the servant returned. The king noticed the servant's hands were empty and became very angry. He gave the servant one minute to explain why he had disobeyed the king's orders. With tears in his eyes, the servant looked to the king and said, Master, I did what you said. I searched for the happiest man on earth and I found him. Then why didn't you not bring me this man's possessions, the king said. The servant replied, because the happiest man on earth didn't have any. And that's the idea of so many people in this world. Some people, they are searching for everything they can get and they're going after it with with all their effort because they think that the more and more they get, the happier and the better their life will be. But there's also that other extreme in this world that is if the blessed life can only be experienced by those who have nothing of this world's wealth. That there's something wonderful about being penniless. That owning nothing is the only true way to contentment and satisfaction. And lots of different cultures have different expressions of that. But Jesus wasn't saying that. Remember how 
Paul taught Timothy to teach the rich to trust in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The things we have are not wrong. The fact that we have money in our pockets isn't bad. Jesus didn't say that financial poverty or austerity is the key to blessing. There's much more to it than that. So this is not blessed are the rich or blessed are those who are living in poverty. Jesus is saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not about a lack of money. It's about a lack of pride. It's about our attitude before God. It's about how we see ourselves in God's sight. If you go into a bookshop, you'll probably see loads of self-help books. Often teach people to to look on themselves with self-confidence and and self-sufficiency. They say that you have the power within you. You can do it if you only put your mind to it. Some people even claim that that's the Christian message. God helps those who help themselves. Heard that? load of rubbish, Jesus says. You'll not be somebody who's blessed in this life until you discover that you, on your own, are spiritually destitute. Those who are blessed look at themselves with humility. They recognize their weakness and their faults. They own up to their sins and their failures. They see themselves as they really are. Spiritually bankrupt. Before a holy and a perfect God. And they acknowledge that on their own. They cannot do anything to please God. The poor in spirit know that they have nothing to bring to God. Nothing to offer. They know that even the good things that they do are contaminated. As Isaiah declares in Isaiah 64, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even on our best day, we're still sinners. Even when you see ourselves at the best that we can be, we're still fallen short of God's standard. And so the poor in spirit agree with Paul when he concludes in Romans 3, There is no one righteous. Not even one. I think when we think of this, we'll see that you don't need to be financially distressed to come to this attitude. But it is true that those who are rich can find this attitude more difficult to arrive at. Because they can be tempted to trust in themselves and their resources more. The more that we have, the more we're tempted to think we can do it on our own. Whereas those who are poor financially can often more easily admit their helplessness and their powerlessness. But why is this attitude so important? Why is it so important that we are poor in spirit? Well, Jesus said the poor in spirit are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
accepting that we're helpless and powerless and can never earn a place in God's kingdom is the first step into coming into it. And our life will never be described as being blessed if we're not part of God's kingdom. Jesus told a story about two men who went up into the temple to pray. Luke chapter 18, it says, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. This man, he saw himself as rich before God. He believed that his social standing, his good life, his religious activity, and his charitable giving all earned him a place in God's kingdom. But Jesus said that this man went home still far from God. Still separated from him. Still outside of his kingdom. Because James 4 and 6 says that God opposes the proud. Those who think that they have earned a place in God's kingdom are still outside of it. The other man was a tax collector. He was the the lowest of the low in society. In today's world, he would have the kind of social status maybe of of a drug dealer or a corrupt banker or a disgraced politician. That kind of social status. That's how people looked on him. But his prayer was so different. In verse 13 of Luke 18 it says this, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't try and cover up his shortcomings or his failures. He didn't offer any evidence of his own goodness or redeeming features. He didn't try and excuse himself. But with humility and with honesty, he accepted his spiritual poverty before God. He knew that he had nothing to offer. He knew that he deserved nothing but judgment and condemnation. But he humbly asked for mercy and grace. And Jesus said that this is what he received. Verse 14 says this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. His sin was forgiven. His condemnation was removed. He was declared to be righteous and he was brought into God's kingdom. He didn't deserve it. He hadn't earned it. He couldn't have worked for it. But he was given it simply as a gift of God's grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And grace is the only way to come into God's kingdom. No matter who we are, what we've done, what we've not done. None of us could ever be good enough to come in to the perfect righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. The only way is through accepting the gift of grace paid for us by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And the cross Jesus took upon himself our sin and he and suffered the punishment that we deserved so that we could receive his righteousness and come into his kingdom. But we can only receive this gift from God. We can only receive this grace, this forgiveness, if we come empty handed. In repentance, we need to bow at the foot of the cross. Acknowledge our spiritual poverty. And humbly ask for God's grace. We can't receive it any other way. So what does this mean for us today? That blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, maybe it means we need to remove our mask. Need to stop hiding behind this act of respectability or religious activity. And maybe even for the very first time, be honest before God. It might feel quite threatening. Quite feel that you're quite being you're quite vulnerable before God. But there's real freedom in this. Trying to be good enough for God is exhausting. The pressure of trying to cover up our sin and pretend that we're something we're not just weighs heavily upon us. But Jesus wants us to be released from that. He wants us to drop the act, confess our sin, repent of it, put our trust in his death on the cross and just receive his grace. This is the blessing that David wrote about in this wonderful psalm, Psalm 32. Let me just read a couple of verses from it. It says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And if we do the same, that's what David describes here. Jesus promises that we too will be forgiven. Yeah, it's tough to face up to our failures and our guilt. It's difficult to acknowledge that we've messed up, that we've fallen short of God's standards and that we continue to do so. But we don't need to live in the fear of being lost. Instead, we can rejoice in God's amazing free gift. Romans 10 and 13 promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if we've brought our sinfulness to the cross of Christ, if we've put our faith in Jesus as the forgiver of our sin and the leader of our lives, then we can rejoice today that we have been accepted by Him. We can be sure that God has forgiven our sin. We can celebrate that God has declared us righteous in His sight. We can know for sure that He has welcomed us into His kingdom. And that nothing and no one can ever separate us from his love.
Blessed are the poor in spirit. So we need to remove our mask. But if we do, then we can rejoice in God's gift. But finally, this beatitude also reminds us of our continual need of grace. Sometimes as Christians, we can be tempted to go back to trying to perform for God, can't we? And go back to that way of of religious activity and performance and act and trying to present this this good uh, front to everybody around. Trying to show off. Trying to prove our spiritual worth. But Jesus wants us to continue to be poor in spirit. John 15 and 5 he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus wants us to continue to recognize our helplessness on our own. And to continue to depend on him for everything that we need. He wants us to remember his words to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. The blessed life is not lived by those who are proud or self-confident or self-righteous. It is not lived by those who have it all together. And who think they can do it all on their own. Instead it's lived by those who honestly face up to their limitations. Who accept their weakness. Who confess their sinfulness. Who humbly come to the cross of Jesus. Trusting in his gift of forgiveness. And who live each day in full dependence on the love power and the grace of Christ blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven